if you keep so much as the letter A in your mind, you'll go to hell like an arrow shot. One drop of wild fox slobber when swallowed cannot be spit out for 30 years. It is not that the order is strict in India. It is just that the ignoramus karma is heavy. Has there ever been anyone who has mistakenly transgressed? Emily, you want to read the koan? Case eight. When Baizong lectured in the hall, there was always an old man who listened to the teaching and then dispersed with the crowd. One day he didn't leave. Aizhang then asked him, who is it standing there? The old man said, in antiquity, in the time of the ancient Buddha, Kausyapa, I lived on this mountain. A student asked, does a greatly cultivated man still fall into cause and effect or not? I answered him, he does not fall into cause and effect. And I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lives. Now I ask the teacher to turn a word in my behalf. Baijang said, he is not blind to cause and effect. The old man was greatly enlightened at these words. Fox drool is still there. I, I don't think I've figured it out, especially given where I am today, but something turned in me. And I think we're talking apples and oranges. And so, um, can a wise man fall into cause and effect? The answer was no. And in his answer, no, it seemed the old man understood that there are many possible causes and effects. So, so it's almost like we were talking about karma in last time. And it's almost like, no, he clearly understands that um, our actions have, and, and I want to define karma in this way. We, our actions have a result in our life, but in terms of a long-term effect, we, we can't anticipate that always, and we can't anticipate all the causes that contribute to that long-term effect. So it seemed to dawn me that they're talking about apples and oranges, like the old man's answer says, no, I understand that if I did something as humans often do and made a mistake that uh, I, I had no control over all of the causes and conditions, but somehow that is separate and distinct from the wild fox body. And I don't know the answer to that, what the wild fox body symbolizes. So they seem to be talking about two different realms that coexist and yet are different. And that's as far as I got. I hope I'm someplace close to the cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nelda, I came at it a, a little differently, but kind of the same um in a way let me I'll, I'll read it mine's short too it's not it's not uh, all that long um but it's a thought process rather than um anyway let me well if it would just stay up here then we could I could read it to you but i'm wondering uh 
my wondering is if we should really always um, think of cause and effect in the same realm or at the same time. So my, my wonderings are, can one have cause without effect? And can one have effect without cause? So I wonder if always looking for the cause of something keeps us from really being present with the effect. If it rains, for example, and these examples are very simple, though. Um, if it rains, for example, does it change how the rain makes us feel because we know where the clouds come from? Or if we contemplate the clouds and how they appear as animals or shapes or almost anything in this meditation, are we changed by knowing that they're made from drops of water? Do we enjoy the rain more or less if we know that the water is made up of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen? And if we know that the two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, does that affect the scientific study of molecules? I wonder. If we're present with the cause, do we need to be present with the effect? And do we need to be present with both? Always. Your mind works so beautifully. I don't have that kind of mind and I'm sitting here just in awe. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. I'm just imagining life stopping and all these causes exist, but the effects haven't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was my next set of questions. Is like you throw a ball toward a window and then life stops. So the window would never get broken. The ball's just in the air. And so is it truly a cause of the, if there's no effect? <laughs> I don't know. Emily? Um, Why did this survive for uh, 1,500 years or however long? I, I seem to... Um, the word careful came arose in my mind. If you're not careful, things of great consequence occur. Like even keeping the letter A in your mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love that part. Mm. Do not get lost in emptiness. It's really severe isn't it mm -hmm. yeah. to ask ask a question and be, have to become a fox for 500 years so kim is this like the shinshin meme where we get lost in the world and forget about emptiness or where we get lost in emptiness and forget about the world and they coexist they're not separate they're 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 different but but united? I don't know. I don't either. I'm wondering. But I have a thing on, on karma I, I want us to read, and then a, a Norman Fisher on the on the koan. But I want to read mine first. Um, do you want to say more, Emily? No, I'm okay. Thank you. 
letter A in your mind, why would you go to hell? If you swallow slobber, you can't spit it out for 30 years. And sometimes, um, well, like I mentioned Carl, uh, my first teacher, and he asked us once, he said, can you give me the name of any movies that don't have violence or sex in them? I'd like to watch them. And it, it seemed like, in a sense, violence and sex, as they're portrayed in movies, maybe is slobber. And you can't spit it out, you know, or certain things, certain things you read, certain stories, certain even interactions with people, you can't spit them out. They kind of, you, you just want to take a shower, you know, but a really long shower. We have to watch what we take in. And that's, that's what I think the, the ignoramus's karma is heavy. What you can't, there's things you do like like stealing. Let's say you go into a store and and it could be very, you know, like you give them a $10 bill and they give you back a 20 for change or something. You know, it could be something like that and you don't say anything. So that could be really heavy. Karma is heavy. Does that mean for the ignoramus, our actions completely stick to us? We are forever conditioned by them. Why would denying karma be so serious that one would have to live as a fox for 500 years? And why wasn't he enlightened about cause and effect? You know, as a fox, it seems <coughs> if you did something and you, there was this consequence, you'd get smart. Surely the fox would have wondered is not blind the same as accepting pulled by oh and then there's a saying maybe you've heard it pulled by karma led by vow which goes like it's different than the vedic belief that karma is is deterministic and there's no way of getting around it there's no vow that where you can you could pass it by fox rule is still there so even though he's greatly enlightened, it seems that the enlightenment is not complete. Right. Um, he'll, never okay. stop, he'll never stop being human. You'll never stop what? Being human. Oh. Maybe after 500,000 lives, I don't know. Okay, so here's the thing on karma. Oops. Oh, wait, Melendon um, um, speak. I'm just listening, thank you. A great picture, isn't it? Oh. Karma, a term and concept that predated the Buddha and has been used in various Indian religions, is often translated as action. But when Buddha referred to ref, what? 
But what the Buddha referred to when he spoke of karma <coughs> was the cause of action, intention. On the night of his enlightenment, one of the insights the Buddha understood was that all beings arise and pass away according to their karmic conditioning. That is the intentions that lead to action determine what happens to them and how they move through space and time. He also saw his own past life stretching back for eons and appreciated that the actions he took in each of those lives propelled him into the next. <coughs> so there's karma, karma in this life and karma, of course, in um, all our previous lives. Okay. Who'd like to read next? Let's just go alphabetical. So it's Emily. Um, the Buddha taught that while we each have accumulated karma from previous lives, as well as from the present one, karma is mutable. Every moment is an opportunity to take positive action, to think, speak, and act in a skillful way that will lead us away from the clinging and delusion that keeps us mired in suffering. In other words, we can work with our karma to ensure a better future. And the way I understand it, this is really revolutionary. That it's not deterministic, but pulled by karma led by vow. That we can, even though there is this, always this possibility. Okay, and then um, Melissa. For present-day Buddhists who don't buy into the idea of rebirth, karma can still serve as a useful principle for this life. And it's at the very heart of the Buddha's Four Noble Truths and his path of practice. Even if one doesn't expect to be reborn or get enlightened, if they live the virtuosity, the logic goes, the person and the people around them will feel better. I think it's virtue. I don't think it's virtue. Virtue to virtuous. Virtuous. They live virtuously. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And now we'll do. Um, anyone want to say anything about this? That was very informative to know what the Buddha meant by karma. Very informative. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I, I think two two this. two points. One is is intention, and the other is mutable. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, to me, those are two important. Oh, I can't uh, do that. But <clears throat> two important parts of this. And uh, okay, so let's let's do the um, Norman Fisher. It's so beautiful. I'm just having a moment here. Okay, stop. Come on, Norman Fisher. Just disappeared. It'll come back. Okay, Norman Fisher, Norman Fisher. Um, I have it open. I just have to find it.
Can you see it? Yes. Bazon's Fox? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, I think it's uh, Melissa's red, so I think it's Nelda's turn. Okay. I can read. Oh, good. Oh, good. Melen, yay. Okay. <laughs> 500 lives. That is, is at the beginning? Yes. 500 lives reborn as a fox for one misstep. Zosetsu speaks on karma and practice. The case. Well, Zosetsu is Norman Fisher's Japanese name, Buddhist name. Okay, go on. So this is the interpretation of him? Yes. Okay. There's a talk he gave on this koan. Okay. Once when Hyakujo. Yeah, so there's a Japanese name and a, and a Chinese name. So the same person. Bai Zhang delivers some Zen lectures, an old man attended, unseen by the monks. At the end of each talk, when the monks left, so did he. But one day he remained after they had gone, and Hyakuyo asked him, Who are you? The old man replied, I am not a human being, but I was a human being when the Kashapa Buddha preached in this world. I was a Zen master and was abbot of these mountains. At that time, one of my students asked me whether the enlightened person is subject to the law of causation. I answered him, the enlightened person is not subject to the law of causation. For this answer, I became a fox for 500 rebirths, and I am still a fox. Will you save me from this condition with your send word? and let me out of a fox's body? Now may I ask you, is the enlightened person subject to the law of causation? Hyakujo said, the enlightened person is not blind to the law of causation. At the words of Hyakujo, the old man was enlightened. I am emancipated, he said, paying homage with a deep bow. I am no more a fox, but I have to leave my fox body in my dwelling behind, my dwelling place behind this mountain. Please perform a monk's funeral for it. Then he disappeared. The next day, Hajahu gave an order through the chief monk to prepare for the funeral of a monk. No one is sick in the infirmary, wondered the monks. What does our teacher mean? After dinner, Hayakju led the monks out and around the mountain. 
In a cave with his staff, he poked out the corpse of an old fox and then performed the cremation ceremony. That evening, Hayaku Jo gave a talk to the monks and told the story about the law of causation. Baku Huangbo, upon hearing this story, asked Hyakujo, I understand that a long time ago, because a certain person gave a wrong Zen answer, he became a fox for 500 rebirths. Now I want to ask if some modern master is asked many questions and he always gives the right answer, what will become of him? Hakujo uh, uh, said, come here near me and I will tell you. Obaku went near Hakujo and slapped the teacher's face. Hakujo clapped his hands and laughed. I thought the old barbarian had a red beard, he said. And now I know a barbarian right here who has a red beard. This is not Norman Fisher yet. This is still part of the koan in other form and from the Lucliff records, I think and then um, the various stuff that accompanies it. Okay, uh, Muman's comment. Muman is one of the people who put the collection together of the koans. Not subject to causality. How can this answer cause 500 rebirths as a fox? Not blind to causality. How can this emancipate a fox? To understand clearly, <coughs> you have to have just one eye. Then you will appreciate how Haikujo lived 500 fox lives as 500 lives of grace. Mumon's poem, not subject, not blind. One die, two faces. Oops. Not blind, not subject. Error piled upon error. So is he calling the the final statement an error? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Melissa. No, Emily. No. Who, who who's next? Melissa. Um, yes. Did I, did we play after you. Okay. Sure. Now this we're having, what, this is Norman Fisher now. Okay. This is one of the most famous of all koans. It turns on the dialect, uh, dialect between the two aspects of our lives, the relative and the absolute. We are ordinary people with ordinary outlooks, with our quirks and foolishnesses, our brilliance and dullness, our loving and our hating, our likes and our dislikes, our hopes and our fears. We are all like this without exception because all of us are karmic beings, limited, particular, limited, particular, created uh, beings. So our perspective must always be a little off, our action a little skewed. But on the other hand, we are also all also Buddha, all also perfect, all also because we are animated by consciousness, because we all breathe the breath of life 
absolute beings. So you and I are Buddha and we are not Buddha. That's our human problem. How are we going to live out that problem in peace and harmony instead of suffering and confusion? Hmm. So maybe that relates to your question, Nelda, about the thing Chig Ming and emptiness. And... Okay. Melan. Uh... In ordinary life, there is only the, re the relative who thinks who thinks about being Buddha? Hardly announced except maybe a few people who are mentally imbalanced. Mostly we think about what kind of new car we want to buy and whether or not our boyfriend or girlfriend really loves us. And if they do, what didn't they res don't respect us the way we know they should. It is hard enough to get through the day. No one really has the time to visit space to think about anything more than this. Even if we stop and think about our deepest wishes and desires, it doesn't take us quite as far as Buddha. Heaven maybe, but usually not. But, but usually not Buddha, sorry. So that's ordinary life, to get what we want and to stay as far away as possible from what we don't want. In religious practice, it's the opposite. We are supposed to transcend our ordinariness and become good. Maybe imitate Jesus or love God perfectly. If we study Zen, we are encouraged to do Zazen with Buddha's mind to throw away our life and just enter the absolute entirely. Actually, the absolute is pretty sexy. How wonderful to somehow go beyond our human limitations and enter the ozone of nirvana, absolutely immune. Religious practice is very idealistic that way. But I have a question. What could we do to Zazen with Buddha mind? What do you understand in that? Well, sometimes we use the expression to just when we sit, we sit as Buddha. Um, Before he was enlightened. <laughs> no, no, no. We we become Buddha. We we're not in the relative. We're in the absolute. We're not we're not caught up in our conditioning. We're not holding that letter A um we're liberated we're free well it says just enter the absolute entirely thank you anyone what do you guys make of that I don't know anyone else's practice, Kim, but mine is sort of a progression because first it's settling the mind and body and emotions enough so that then the mind and body and emotions can fall away. And then maybe, just maybe, getting a glimmer of what is in this physical world and then maybe letting that drop away 
and maybe just maybe getting into the Buddha realm. Just a glimpse, right? Right, right. And um, it says to throw away our life and just enter the absolute entirely. I've mentioned this. Um, this one priest talked about walking through the threshold into the temple and shedding what you brought behind you, you know, and, and that's the thing about if you're still have this letter A in your mind, you're stuck. So dropping all that. You know, dropping what you assume about a person and just seeing who they are now would be similar to me. Okay, so who, who's next reading? Emily, is it your turn? Um, is it, did Nalda, did you read? Yeah, okay. Um, but it has to, I think we're, but it has to be. Okay, um, but it, it has to be. In spiritual practice, the absolute has to be emphasized because there is no spiritual practice without it. Real spiritual practice can't be a self-improvement course. Even though we might improve as a result of our practice, that can't be the point of it. The point has to be to touch the absolute with our whole body, to confront the absolute bodily. So Zen is like any other religion in this way. And I think that's the answer, Milan, too, to what does it mean to do Zazen with Buddha's mind? To touch the absolute with the old body. Does that make sense to all of you? Yeah. Uh, but also in Zen practice, it's very clear that the absolute isn't enough. You know, and that, that's what Nelda was asking about the Sing Ching Ming. In the Zen tradition, longing for the absolute and being attached to that longing is called hanging around in the cave of emptiness, is considered a disease. We, we do sitting meditation a lot in our practice, weeks at a time, but then we get up. Both sitting down and getting up is our practice. There is no absolute in the sky floating pure above the world like a cloud. There isn't any heaven up in the sky. There's only actual existence. The absolute only appears in the form of the relative. It can't appear any other way. The limitless sky of nirvana only appears as you and I and what we're having for breakfast. It's real enlightenment, at least as we see it in Zen, relative and absolute together as one living thing. Oh, experience. So this is the trick of our practice, to be ourselves just as we are, just as our karma has shaped us, and at the same time to know what we are really, and at the same time to know that we are really Buddha, and to actually allow ourselves to be Buddha, to manifest that side of our lives, at the same time, 
not Buddha superimposed over ourselves, but Buddha as ourselves. There isn't any other Buddha. Now that. This case is about all that. The old Yakujo was asked about karma, ordinariness, the relative. Is the enlightened person still in the relative world or not? Of course, the classic answer is the answer he gives. No, the enlightened person is free of all that. A Buddha is beyond the relative world. This is the right answer. This is what it says in the sutras. Buddha is not subject to entangling karma. That is what makes him Buddha. But it looks like the textbook answer isn't really right. The poor old guy missed something and is reborn 500 lives as a fox. And now he comes to present Hyakujo, the present monk who is abbot of Hyakuju Mountain, to see if he can get a better answer. And Hyakujo says, the enlightened person is not blind is not blind to causality. He embraces the relative. He doesn't escape it. Now the monk I have to oh go on. Finish the sentence. I'm sorry. Now the monk is saved. So well, how do you read this? So Did he lose himself in emptiness with that answer of, with the answer that he's not bound by cause and effect? I think he was um, seeking to not be bound by cause and effect. And he was thinking that there was an ultimate uh, sort of nirvana in that. And um, once he finally realizes there is no nirvana in, in that, then he's um, open to the possibility of moving past that. It's because such a difference to me, the difference between, I keep saying this, but the difference between not being blind to something and believing it entirely. Like I'm not blind to the fact that I'm going to die someday, but I'm also not not buying it completely. Would be kind of um, uh, would kind of freeze, you know, if it occupied my thoughts at every moment. That wouldn't be. I couldn't live. But then, if I was completely not blind to it. I would be just completely reckless. So it, it's something in between. Mm. Do you believe in past? Is it my turn? Annalise just read, right? Uh, I think so. Or Nelda, did you? I think I just read. Oh, Nelda read. Now the old book oh, is okay. saved. Okay. Because I interrupted her. Okay. okay, here we go. Do you believe in past lives? 
If not, then what happens to you after you die? Where do you go? And if you just disappear and are no more, what does that mean? According to the laws of physics, nothing disappears, it only transforms. But what about consciousness? What is that anyway? And where does it go after you die? I don't know the answer to that, and I do not think anyone does. There is something wrong with the very idea of know the answer to that. It doesn't seem to be that kind of thing. You might think it's fruitless to think about such stuff. Probably it is. But consciousness is our life every moment, even when we are asleep. And it is a strange thing that no one knows what consciousness is. And we can't even figure out how we could find out what it is. There's no experiment we could design. So can we pause there a moment? Because that's really the crux of um, our practice, isn't it? The focus on consciousness and emptiness. Uh, and yet it, it just, it, that landed like, poof. That paragraph landed in such a way that I'm thinking the very most important thing that we um, hold in this practice, and that is consciousness, um, is something we have no way of getting any answers to. It's pretty amazing to live a life mm -hmm. holding something that you can't ever get any answers to about what it is, where it is, how it's formed, does it disappear? So why do we hold it? And I'm curious, I'm asking with curiosity. So if it is such a thing, for lack of a better word, and we all seem to sense that it is a thing that is present and alive in every, using the word thing differently, um, how do we do this? It's amazing to me. Oh, so like, uh, is it like sitting and contemplating the stars? We don't really, most of us don't know an experiment to devise to know that it exists and explain it with math or physics. But it's still beautiful to contemplate it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I have, that's a beautiful answer, Emily. And I, I have my own answer, but I'd rather hear from others. Mm. So say again that what the question is. Here's this thing we call by the name of consciousness that we in this practice and in many other spiritual practices, they call it different names and other, hold so very dear and structure our lives around. And yet there is absolutely no way of touching it, knowing where it is. We, we, we speculate where it is in everything. That's a speculation. Um, but we really have no way in the relative world of finding it, measuring it, looking at it directly. And yet we live our lives 
with it as the central point. And I just find that fascinating. And I know my answer to why I do that, but I'm curious about other people's. Well, because I think once you start contemplating life and the essence of reality, that's what you come to, right? You you come down to consciousness mm -hmm. and you can't really go anywhere much after that. So I think that's where we all or a lot of us land is is what what is what is consciousness and and it has to be such a vital part of who we are um and what we do but there's no explanation for it no i mean we can say someone is unconscious but do we really know that because we don't know what consciousness is, what's going on in their brain or their mind or their spirit. We don't know that. We can only say that their body is not responding. Don't know anything about their consciousness. And Kim, do you have any import? Well, I'm thinking a number of things. One is... Um... When I was with my sister after she died, I was trying to figure out the difference between when she was alive and when she wasn't, you know, and what, what left the body, what wasn't still there. And I'm also wondering about if you could substitute God or love for this word, would the, would the same thing hold? Uh, one of the reasons I started hanging out with um, Jews, like in Torah class and Talmud class, was trying to figure out what, how they saw God. And finally, I figured out that they all see it differently and they don't really define it. Um, it's not something they can even talk about, you know, the same way about love or someone who loves nature. They might not, or Emily's talking about looking up at the stars and not really understanding them, but still getting, getting kind of a sense of them. So. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who is a um, National Institute, whatever, whatever, research scientist, medical doctor. And I remember him once saying to me, I don't believe in God in all those realms. I'm a scientist. And uh, my answer was, I, I don't know if God, by that word and how you describe it, exists, but I know there's something. I just know that. And it's exactly like what you said. I cannot... Describe for you so that you could see a three-dimensional object what my love for my son is. And words would just render me inept at describing it. But I know that there's something there and that it's there and that it's as solid as anything three-dimensional. And yet there isn't, right? So that's how I feel about consciousness and and why I'm able to hold that so dearly and tenderly, because despite all my inadequate tools of 
describing it in the material way. I know it's there. I, I, I know it. And that's enough for me. That's more than enough. The deep knowing. Just like with love for my son. So when I was sitting today, I noticed at one particular moment that I had gone off somewhere. And so I wonder if uh, when I was off, if that was if I was in consciousness or if I wasn't in consciousness until I realized that I had gone off. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But. Where was I? I don't know. I, you know, I don't know where I was. <coughs> we were given the exercise once of raising our thumb whenever our, we went off somewhere else. It was impossible to do because you'd go off and anyway, you couldn't do it. You didn't know that. Okay, so uh, Emily read. So can we, can we go on? Yeah. In Buddhism, the law of karma is very important. It isn't complicated. Its simplest formation formulation is if this, then that. In other words, if you do something, there will be a consequence to it. You can't tell exactly what or when it will be because there are many, many causal factors in the world that interact with each other. But one thing is really and surely true that good actions have good results and bad actions have bad results. You may not believe this is true, but I really believe it. This is because I have sat <coughs> on my cushion for a very long time and I've gotten to see my own mind and my own conduct over the, that long time. So it is quite clear to me that good actions lead to good results and bad actions to bad results. I've seen it in my own mind. I have faith in it because I have experienced it. Hmm. That's like, I, I, I don't know if you've, I've said it before, but I had a colleague who taught philosophy and was a devout Catholic and every, I don't know, every morning, once a week, she would go to, go help the sick and the elderly and stuff. And I said to her, Carol, if I disprove God to you, would you still believe? And she said, absolutely. And I said, Carol, and she said, my experience has been so strong that there's no doubt in my mind that God exists. And it's kind of like that with Norman Fisher, that this idea of, of good actions have good results. And I think I'm finding it more and more. How about the rest of you? I think sometimes we don't see the results right away like we would want to, to have that idea reinforced. But I do believe that idea. And re remember that it's not actions from what we read the other thing. It's intention, good intentions intention, have, good right. have good results. I think the best result, and it's immediate, is that living with integrity within the guidelines we're given in this practice and other spiritual practices is the best result, to live with, with integrity. 
Well, then you then you have such a positive um, feeling about yourself, like there's no slobber, you know, because I, I you really intended to do what you thought was best. There's kind of an ease to it, like when you start lying, you get so tangled up you know, or misrepresenting something. It's so refreshing to just tell the truth. Okay. So, Melissa, I think. Right. But someone might say, well, I've done bad actions and I haven't received bad results. To tell you the truth, this is never so. But someone might think so because they haven't really examined their own mind. But if they think so, and I want to convince them, I will say yes. But in your next life, wait and see. Something terrible is going to happen to you. If the person believes it, he might be motivated to do good and avoid bad. This is what happened to the old monk. Maybe he was fine in his monk lifetime, but later on, he was reborn as a wild fox. You might think that it'd be fun to be reborn as a fox. A good result, not a bad one. I think that way myself. But in the story, I think you are supposed to believe that it is a bad thing to be reborn as a wild fox. In China, a wild fox is something negative, like a goblin or a black cat. I think it's so funny. I remember seeing uh, fox kits one spring in my backyard, and it was like, um, it's funny that they're seen as goblins. Or, yep. There were such little miracles when I saw them. Anyway, they're beautiful animals. Yeah. They're my one of my daughters and my granddaughters' most favorite animal. They have they have this bond. It's very interesting. I just saw one in front of our house in St. Louis just once. It was so beautiful. Okay, I think it's uh, Malin. Oh, it's me then. I have said that karma shows us that good actions lead to good results and bad actions to bad results. But karma is only half the story, the relative half. Nirvana, the absolute, is also part of the human story. The trick is how to put the two together, how to live them as they really are. The old monk is maybe a little too... Um, literary, a little too one-dimensional. He thinks the absolute and relative are different and separable. This is the way he answers. The new Hyakujo says no, embracing the relative completely. That's the absolute. Absolute and relative can't be separated. No one in this world is beyond karmic consequences.
Um, what are bad actions and bad results anyway? In Zen, there is no God who gets mad at you if you do something bad. If there were, maybe you could hide from God and escape his punishment. Maybe God might be looking someplace else or be busy with other affairs and not notice what you have done. But with karma, there's no such thing. You will certainly receive the fruit of your action, no matter what God is concerned with at the moment. Things just work that way. I don't know why, but they do. So you better take care with your actions of body, speech, and mind. You better learn what is good and what is bad and try to cultivate the good and let go of the bad. But if you do something bad anyway, maybe you can learn from the bad results that will come. Maybe this is what you needed to learn. Maybe karma isn't a question of right and wrong or good and bad, but Buddha doing what Buddha has to do to get the job done, to evolve towards enlightenment. So it might not be bad to have 500 lives as a fox if that is what you need. You guys know that, that 500 is the Buddhist number for like what our 1,000 is, but just a very, very long time. And Buddha was, for 500 lifetimes, the attendant to previous Buddhas. So I guess what Norman Fisher is saying to me is that um, this is the path that sometimes we need to take to to live 500 lives as a fox. So uh, what, well, go on. What would happen when there's this um, ecological cataclysm and there's no chance to have 500 lives? As a human, but maybe you're a, maybe you're a uh, molecule. You mean if time, if if life as we know it ends, mm -hmm. and you get stuck? Well, I don't you, know what would happen. You you may not be a fox or an animal or. Being born human is supposed to be the the best uh, <coughs> thing possible because it gives you the ability to become enlightened. But it it takes, uh, and I think he's referring to it. It takes. Uh, uh, the good and the bad takes doing the wrong thing and seeing the consequence. So, Malen, if there is an ecological catastrophe and human life, or most life, in it, we all started from amoebas and one cell, and maybe that's what happens. Maybe we all start over and assuming I find that a little egotistical and egocentric that human life is, you know, the highest level. But assuming that's true, then maybe over millennial, we get to start again after going through all those evolutions. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you. Things happen in our lives and they are always workable. There is no such thing as that shouldn't have <coughs> happened. If it happened, it happened. Then you practice with it.
That's the spirit of this koan. It's not a matter of free from karma or not free from karma. Both are two ways to look at the same thing, as Muman comments. Not subject to causality, how can this answer cause 500 rebirths as a fox? Not blind to causality, how can this emancipate a fox? To understand clearly, you have to have just one eye, and then you will appreciate how Hakajo lived 500 fox lives as 500 lives of grace. And the poem is so clean. You want to read the poem again? Sure. Not subject, not blind. One die, two faces. Not blind, not subject. Error piled upon error. I think it's the lamb. No, it's rereading the poem. Hmm? I was rereading the poem. Oh, okay. In other words, karma is real and important. We need to try to do what's good and avoid what's bad. Even every moment we have that freedom, freedom and every moment we have that choice. Every moment we are the boss. Every moment is an action point, a decision point, but also every moment is a result, the result of past moments when we accept what is a what and makes and make us i'm sorry when we accept what is as what is and make our best effort with all our heart willing to accept what will come out of it and to work with that then we are free, not from karma, but with karma, in karma, embraced by and embracing karma. Then we are human, Buddha, at one and the same time. And I mean that literally, we are Buddha and not Buddha in the present moment, in the actual connected, responsive, responsible presence of our living. What about Obaku? Later on, he shows up and asks, suppose the old master had answered correctly, would he have saved himself the trouble of 500 lives? Before the abbot had a chance to slap Obaku, Obaku slaps the abbot. This is their old Chinese way of agreeing with each other. Practice isn't about being right about doctrine, conforming to a set of ideas and values. There's nothing to understand or conform to in Zen. All the Zen literature is actually quite simple anyway, and understanding it is no guarantee of anything. If you like Zen, you appreciate that some people understand, but understanding is not the point. Living is the point. So that's an interesting question. If he had answered the opposite, would he still be, re and I think maybe yes, he still would, have to do 500 fox lives because it was kind of the problem of certainty and the problem of just seeing one side of things. Mm -hmm. 
And the problem may be of giving an answer at all rather than, uh, you know, just eat your bowl of grain or something. I don't know about enlightenment. It may be that our Soto Zen practice is really bad and we forgot how to get enlightened. I don't know about that. But to tell you the truth, it is unimportant to me. The other, the other day I heard someone use the word crux and it struck me. What a strange word, crux, the crux of the matter. A crux is a cross, the intersection of two things. Right there is the crux of the matter. Every moment of our lives, without exception, we are living in the crux of the matter. Even if we get enlightened now, then what about the next moment? Does enlightenment make us immune to the difficulties of the next moment? No answer is correct forever, just for now. This doesn't make it trivial or relative. It may be absolutely true, but only now. No way of living is correct always. It may be correct and true, but just for now. Every moment we are at the crux, the place where life and death meet, the place where time and the timeless meet, the place where Buddha and yourself meet nose to nose and merge. Crux, cross, also in our culture, evokes the idea of terrible suffering, bottomless suffering, that contains within it the seed of redemption. In this sense, too, we are all always living in the crux of the matter. Every moment, even the moment of waiting in the dentist's office or being stalled in traffic, has that density and weight. Is that problem? Do we live our lives aware of this? Do we pay that much attention? I don't know about religion. The point is to live the life we are given as fully as possible taking full responsibility for its miraculous nature. I think sitting helps, and teaching helps too, as a reminder. Please sit and study the teachings and pay attention to your life. Thank you. A footnote to the case. Thinking about this case further, I appreciated how hard it must have been for the old to endure those 500 fox lives. I think he suffered a lot. It took him all that time to get to the place where he could manifest a temporary human form so he could meet the new Kujo, <coughs> who I suppose is himself, on Yakujo Mountain and ask for help. And, and remember that most of the times he just walked out with the other monks and it wasn't, so he went many times to hear the talk. <coughs> this is an important point. We won't really find a, liberat a liberative truth. I guess that's a truth that liberates us until we suffer through our karma. This suffering is purifying. Hard though it may be, we would rather avoid it, but it can't be avoided. To fully own and admit our human life is to take responsibility for all our suffering and for all suffering. 
There is no one else to blame, no excuses. There's a lot of sorrow and grief in that. We, <coughs> we might have to swim in an ocean of tears, but we can hold that in the process of our practice, and then we can be free of it. So how did you like uh, this? Lovely, much better. So what we could do is, is find similar things for the other koans. Would that be good? Um, let's read next week's koan. I've got to leave, but I will see you next oh, week. Oh, is it time? Say five minutes. About five minutes, we can read it. Okay. Thank you, Nelda. Thank you, Nelda. Thank you all. Uh, the other koan. Kim, did you send this link in the email or can you please send it out? Yes. The link is... <laughs> okay. Is it sufficient if I put it in chat? Yes, thank you. Okay, done. And now, oh, this was neat. This is the discovery of the corpse. And the fox is down here at the bottom. It's, it's very light, the fox. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I, I promised we'd read the koan. Um, where is it? Here. Who'd like to read it? I can read it. Okay. One day at Nanquan's, the eastern and western halls were arguing over a cat. When Nanquan saw this, he took a, and held it up and said, if you can't speak, I won't cut it. The group had no reply. Nankan then cut the cat in two. Nankan also brought up the foregoing incident to Xiao Zhu and asked him. Xiao Zhu immediately took off his sandals, put them on his head, and left. Nankan said, if you had been here, you could have saved the cat. Okay. So let's save the cat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you all. Have a good evening. What's good left day. of it? <laughs>